Welcome to the Every Nation Rosebank Church Podcast. At our church, we honor God, make disciples, and transform nations. For more information about our church, visit everynationrosebank.org. And don't forget to subscribe. All right, so we, we, are, we are on this incredibly uh, uh, important and exciting uh, series, the Father's Matter series. Um, and and it, it, is, it, it is important uh, uh, for our society, it's important for the, for the fabric of who we are as communities as we build in such a way that recognizes uh, fathers, physical fathers, spiritual fathers, mentors, uh, older brothers uh, have such an incredible uh, role, God-given role to play in our society. And uh, uh, in, in saying that, uh, we, we don't discount the importance uh, that God has placed uh, on, on, uh, on mothers and, and older sisters and mentors. And, and we see this as a, a two-pronged uh, image of God that God has placed in society. And so it's not, to, it's not to diminish the one, but it is to recognize that even just statistically speaking, when uh, men in society take their God-given role and are, are responsible with it, things do change for the better. And we've seen the abuses that happen and the things that go wrong when men don't step into their God-given areas of responsibility. So this is a, a, a really a, a fundamental uh, series for us um, to embark on. I'm going to ask you to turn uh, in your Bibles to the book of Philemon, uh, which is where we're going to be taking uh, our, our scripture reading from this morning. The book of Philemon is towards, kind of towards the end uh, part of the, of, the, of the Bible, if you, just before Hebrews. So if you're starting to hit, he, if you hit Hebrews, if you, Revelation, you've gone too far. Um, come back a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> just before Hebrews, you'll find um, it's between Hebrews and Timothy. It's a, it's a small book, so it's it can be difficult to, um, or easy to miss. <clears throat> there's, a, there's a gentleman by the name of Onesimus in the story. Onesimus is a slave in a time when it was the norm to own slaves, to have people as your property. Onesimus is owned by a man named Philemon. And he, he does not have any rights of his own. He, he serves at another man's will. He's under subjugation. Onesimus yearns for freedom. But he doesn't have freedom because he's a slave. So one day, Onesimus hatches a plan. He is going to run away. He carefully constructs his plan. He studies the movements of the area where he's in, he knows how the guards move around. He knows when the shifts change. He knows when the master's in the house and when he's not. He knows the movements and, and he's done his homework. And at the right time, Onesimus takes his moment and he escapes from slavery. And he runs off, gains his 
freedom. In his journey, getting as far away from his slave master as he can, he encounters a man named Paul. And this man named Paul begins to speak to him about the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is good news to Onesimus. And so you know what Onesimus does? He receives this news with gladness. He becomes born again. He becomes a disciple of Paul. And so not only has Onesimus gained physical freedom, he has now gained spiritual freedom. And having gained both physical and spiritual freedom, and, and, and just entering into a whole new world, and, and, and his eyes have now been opened, and everything is exciting, and he's learning new things under Paul, and he can't believe that it's taken him this long to get to where he is, but he's just so grateful and excited for what God is doing for the rest of his life. It's an upward trajectory. And then Paul gives him an instruction. Go back. Go back to where you came from. Go to your slave master. What do you mean, Paul? I escaped from that slavery. God set me free from that slavery. Not only that, but he confirmed it by setting me free from spiritual slavery. Paul says to Onesimus, I want you to go back. To your slave master. What do we make of that? Is Paul affirming slavery? Is Paul just insensitive of the experiences that people like Onesimus have had to go through? Is Paul a narrow-minded person who is unable to identify with the struggles of the oppressed and the downtrodden? Go back. Go back, he says. And so in Philemon, and I'll, I'll read from verse 4, Paul hands Philemon this letter, Onesimus this letter, and he sends him back to Colossae. I thank my God, he says, writing to Philemon, making mention of you always in my prayers, hearing of your love and faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints, that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. For we have great joy and consolation in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother Philemon. Therefore, though I might be very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting, yet for love's sake I rather appeal to you being such a one as Paul the aged, now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Listen to this. 
I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten while in chains, who once was unprofitable to you, but now is profitable to you and to me. I am sending him back. You therefore receive him that is my own heart, whom I wished to keep with me, that on your behalf he might minister to me in the chains for the gospel. But without your consent, I wanted to do nothing, that your good deed might not be by compulsion, as it were, but voluntarily. For, for perhaps he departed for a while, what's Paul's language? For perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose, that you might receive him forever. No longer a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If then you count me as a partner, Philemon, receive him as you would me. But if he has wronged you or owes anything, put that on my account. I, Paul, am writing with my own hand. I will repay not to mention to you that you owe me even your own self besides. <laughs> I like Paul. Yes, brother, let me have joy from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in the Lord. Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than what I say. But meanwhile, also prepare a guest room for me. For I trust that through your prayers, I shall be granted to you. I'm going to come see. That's up to verse 22, amen. Here's my question to you. Who are you in the story? Who are you? I want you to commit to a character. <laughs> and then I want you to write it down. Who, who, who you are in, in, this, in this story. And there's, there's kind of the three main characters, but, but, but maybe you can find others. So there's uh, Paul, uh, Philemon, and Onesimus um, are kind of the, 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 three, the three main characters. But, but you're welcome to try and find somebody else that you identify with in that story. Who are you? I am so-and-so. Put that down. Now, what is, what is this story about? What, what, what did we just read here? The cheat sheet is we're doing a series called Father's Matter. And so... We can easily join that dot, right? We do. So what, what, what is the story about? It must be about a father, right? Father, father-son relationship. We see where you're going. You got me. Fathers. Fathers matter. The specific point of focus that I want to have for us today is fathers are providers. Fathers are providers, but so much more than money. 
When we think about provision in our world today, how easy is it to reduce it down to a bank account or to money? And, and, um, and when, when you talk to people and when you read studies, one thing that, um, become, that, that starts to emerge as a pattern is how so many men have been unable to step into the role, into their God-given role as a father because they felt unworthy. Why? Because they didn't have the financial resources to be able to provide. And so what did men begin to do? Well, if I can't provide the money, I must not be worthy of the role. But, but if, if we can help each other to understand, and then if we can help men outside of the space to understand, you have so much more to give than just money. We create room for people to step in and to provide all that God has called for them to provide. And so fathers are providers, but so much more than money. Did Paul have children? Spiritual. Were those children any less children than somebody else's physical children? So did Paul have children? Absolutely Paul had children. Absolutely, Paul had children. One of them we encounter in the story of Philemon. Or in the letter to Philemon, rather. His name is Onesimus. And, and, uh, and, and Paul has preached the gospel to this young man. And he has received the gospel. And Paul has begun to disciple and to mentor him. Do you have anybody in your life that you have reached out to and begun to walk a journey with towards Christ? Do you have somebody that you would look at and you go, I'm pouring, I'm pouring out into you. I am investing in you so that you would bear fruit and that, that, that gives glory to Christ. Do you have somebody that you spend, spend a fair, fairly regular amount of, of time with that you walk an intentional journey with? I want to encourage you not to walk this Christian journey in isolation. Secondly, I want to encourage you not to walk this Christian journey perpetually on the side of the receiver. That you are also a Paul who reaches out to an Anisimus and disciples and walks with them. Paul had children. And like any father, Paul provided for his children. And in the scriptures, we begin to see some of the ways in which Paul was a providing father. Paul provided identity. I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus. You know, the name Onesimus means useful. So that's, what's the, the, the play on words that Paul is employing here? I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. 
formerly he was useless to you. But now he, has indeed, he is indeed useful to you and to me. He has become the fulfillment of his name. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. What is Paul doing? He is establishing identity into somebody's heart who has been a slave. We don't know how long Onesimus has been a slave for, but who has been a slave for, we can assume a significant amount of time. And so what is then the identity that he would have carried when he met Paul? The irony that I, my name is useful, but I don't feel very useful. And so Paul speaks over him that no longer are you a useless person who is bottom of the barrel, who is at the back of the line, who is considered last, who is not worthy of mention, you to me are Onesimus. You are useful. Paul puts on the cloak of a father when he speaks about Onesimus. And he says, this is a man who is useful, handy, has something to add. Listen to him. Receive his giftings. Make room for him. I'm sending him who is my very own heart. How would, how would Onesimus have valued himself as a slave? How would he have valued himself? Cheap. Dirt. Not worthy of consideration. But Paul says, no, as a father, what I speak over you is that you are valuable. Not just valuable, as valuable as my very own heart. I cannot do without you. You have become so intertwined with me that to remove you from my life would have the very same effect as removing my own heart from my body. That is the value that I place over you. I have brought you so close to me that you have the ability to hurt me and to give me life. That is the role of a father who recognizes a son, who recognizes a daughter and speaks identity over them. And then, and then brings them close and intertwines himself so much with this child that the value that you place on the child cannot be separated from the value of the father. I'm sending you my very own heart. The one who is formerly property is now a life-giving heart. And so Paul provides identity. Paul also provides training and teaching as a father. He says, I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. When I was reading this scripture, these were the questions that were screaming out at me. Paul, 
Why not keep Onesimus? Why did Paul not keep Onesimus? Why did he send him back to Philemon? This is a risky move. It would have been safer for Paul to stay with Onesimus. In fact, Onesimus would have been able to minister to Paul because Paul was in prison. And so he would have been able to minister to him, to bring him food, supplies, change of clothes, medicines, whatever he would need. But Paul forfeits what he would have been receiving from Onesimus and sends him back to his slave master. Why? Because a father does not keep his child in the nest. A father provides platform for training. Why is Paul sending Onesimus to Philemon? What Paul is teaching both Philemon and Onesimus is that as a Christian, we do not run away from our hardships. My son Onesimus, it would be better for me to keep you because you would be able to minister to me, but it would be better for me for you to, for me to send you because you will learn the ways of Christianity so that you will be able to function when I'm no longer around. That is the role of a father. He sends him back. He says, go, I know that you don't want to face this situation. I know that it is hard for you. I know that it is going to be a trigger. I know that it is going to bring up old memories. I know that it is going to aggravate old wounds that you would rather not face. But as your father, I am saying, go and face them because it is the only way for you to grow and mature as a Christian. Our father is telling us today, my child, I love you too much to keep you here with me. Go face the situations that you come from. Go face that pain. Go face that person. Go face that circumstance. Don't be afraid to face it because in the facing of it, Christ is being formed in you. And if Christ is being formed in you, then you are experiencing the love, the true love of God. Not the love that we sometimes tend to, that, that, um, that is without pruning and without discipline. The scriptures say that he disciplines those whom he loves. Do you know that sometimes... I haven't read the scriptures well enough to say this with all authority, but, but certainly to say sometimes. Sometimes the judgment of God is in letting you sit in your comfort. Sometimes that's the, that, that, that is the judgment. Sometimes the judgment of God is to let you have your way. And the love of God is to refuse to let you have your way. The love of God is to take you out of your comfort and to push you into discomfort. Yes. 
so that Christ would be formed in you. Paul provides partnership. Look what he says here in Philemon 1 verse 17. says, so if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. Scandalous. Onesimus is a slave. He has no economic worth in the society. Philemon is a man of standing. He is a man who owns slaves. That means he is a man of means and wealth and properties. He probably has vast lands and people to tend and cultivate his lands and his properties. And he had a reputation to keep in the society. And what does Paul say to, to Philemon? He says, Philemon, if you are going to be a Christian, you are going to need to understand that all of us are slaves. Slaves to righteousness. And so therefore, all of us are equal in Christ. And so you are going to have to change the way that you look at Onesimus. Receive him no longer as a slave, receive him as a brother. In fact, the way that you would receive me is the way that you ought to receive him. Because if you play favorites, then the love of Christ is not within you. It's what he's teaching to Philemon. And so it is uncomfortable for Anisimus to go back having been a runaway slave. But it is also uncomfortable for Philemon. Who now has to receive this guy back and restore him not as a slave but as an equal. What about his reputation? What if he had investors who were going to lose confidence? In him because he had now lowered himself. Because no one in society was going to view that as him having elevated a slave to his standing. He's lowered himself to the level of a slave. Who's going to invest in that? Paul is asking Philemon to pay a material cost for the sake of the gospel. He's saying your, your salvation doesn't lie in your associations. Doesn't lie in who you know. Doesn't lie in what people think about you. Doesn't lie on, in your brand strength. Your, 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 your powers of networking and the people that, that are in your contacts list or your speed dial. Doesn't lie in any of that. So Philemon, receive this guy as you would me. Notice how Paul, Onesimus' father, has elevated Onesimus to his very own standing. Isn't just that the role of a father? 
to take a child, a son, and a daughter and to raise them up, to disciple them, to give them platform and training and exposure, to expose them to hardship and coach them and give them risk within a safe space and to watch and to, and, and to debrief with them and to, uh, and, and, to, and to cultivate them and to raise them up and to, to, to stand with them one day as an equal. How many of you Fathers would love to one day stand shoulder to shoulder as an equal with the son and the daughter that you're raising. How many of you disciples and mentors, and that includes all of us men and women, would look at the people that you're walking with and would love to get to the place where they are also inputting into your life. They are also praying and advising and guiding and counseling and praying for you. It's no longer just a one-way street. We're looking for that kind of discipleship that, that cult, is cultivated into friendship where we become equals. We're not, we're not trying to disciple people to be, in, to be dependent on us forever for the sake of of our own ego. No! We mentor and we walk with people and we input into their lives so that they grow. And if they begin to to surpass us, praise God, that means I need to run harder. Because I'm not making little me's. We are all egging one another on into more and more Christ-likeness. And so Paul, as a father, cultivates a space of partnership. If he has wronged you, it's on me. Tell me those are not the ultimate words of a father. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. Charge that to my account. Whatever mistakes my child has made, charge that to my account. Whatever offenses, I'm willing to step in. Whatever trouble he's in, I'm willing to represent him. Whatever cost he's been called to pay, Charge that to my account. When fathers provide space and platform for their children to take risks within safe spaces, we, man, we, we breed pioneers, courageous people who are able to charge forward and trust God for all that he has for them. Why? Because we have the backing of a father who is saying, Charge it to my account. I will protect. I will provide. I will pay for. I will correct. I will admonish. And I know some of us are reading these words, listening to these words, going, that's, that's okay, but it's, it's really not so relevant to me because I didn't have a father like that. And, and, and maybe you're like me. I didn't, I didn't have a, a, a father at all growing up. The biggest moment of breakthrough that came for me was in the recognition. And not just recognition, but like a, a conviction that settled into my heart that 
God is my father. The day that that settled into my heart was a changing day. Changing day. Because I, I used to recite it up here, but I used to be bitter in here. And, and, and I would say it here, but I would compare here. I would say it here, but I would be envious here. And, 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 I, would, and, I, would, and I would say these things, like, but God, how different my life would have been if you hadn't taken my father away from me. Where would my life had be? Where would my life be if this had happened? If this had happened? If things had turned out differently? I bet I would have been a different person. I bet I would have achieved this. I bet I would have. But the day it settled into my heart, God was the one who would pick up my bill. Now, that is a gospel story, if ever I heard one. Let's come back to that f- the question I asked you at the beginning. thought I forgot about it. Who are you in the story? Who are you in the story? <laughs> We are all Onesimus. Every single one of us is Onesimus. It's, isn't it easier to identify with, with like a Philemon, the wronged party? Or like the, the magnanimous sending Paul who's like all wise and like, oh, I'm sending you but I've got a big plan. At, but we are all Onesimus. We are all the runaway slave. And in the story, Paul stands in the gap as Jesus, the the reconciler. And like Jesus, he says, I will pay, I will cover. Why? So that this relationship can be restored. Because if this relationship is restored, not only is that good for for Onesimus and Philemon in terms of Christ-like formation in their lives, it is a testimony for the entire community. Right? If, we, if they were preaching a gospel of this Jesus Christ who rose from the dead and a few people were beginning to kind of gravitate towards it, there were some questions about its power. We are not sure until the slave master begins to identify with the slaves. That is a gospel and a new faith that we can no longer afford to ignore. There is something powerful about this faith. It was a preaching to the entire community and to the entire church of Colos. Consider the story of the prodigal son. Pastor Quinton shared this with us two weeks ago. The son who is on his way back to plead with the father. And look at the parallels between these two stories. In the one, it is a slave who who returns a son. In the other, it is a son who essentially is returning a slave. 
and, and, he, and he's presenting himself before his father and he's crying out, Lord, Father, or that, that was his plan. If you will just let me eat with the slaves, I will be satisfied. He's coming to repent and he wants to be one of the slaves. He meets a father who is not interested in his story, who is not interested in his pitch. The pitch was important. The pitch was important for the story. Why? Why was the pitch important for the story? This son who had, who had taken his inheritance had essentially cost his father standing socially and economically. Right? So his father had taken a hit. But not only had his father taken a hit, let's imagine this. The community had taken a hit. Why? Everybody who relied on his father for sustenance had taken a hit. If his father had fields and his father had to sell off part of those fields in order to provide for this guy, that means there is at least a third of his father's fields that now belong to somebody else, retrenched, a third of the workforce retrenched because the son wanted his inheritance. So there was a community that was displeased with the son. The pit was important because when the people saw him enter into their homestead, what were they going to begin to do? Best case scenario, best case, they were going to be cursing him. Worst case, they were going to kill him. So why the pitch was important. And so the father is standing and he's looking out and he sees him coming. That's not just a trivial part of the story that tells us that the father knew what would happen if the son returned. And so he was on the ready waiting for him to return. When he saw him, he began to run. That's not a trivial part of the story. This old man who lifted up his robes and he began to run was an issue of shame. No old man in the Hebrew culture would lift up his robes, expose his legs and run. It was shameful to do so. But this old man lifts up his robes and begins to run, run to his son. Where has the son been? He's been with the pigs. He stinks. What does his father do? Throws his arms around him. Embraces him. Takes on the shame to get to his son. And then takes on the stink to, to, get, to enter into intimacy with him. Father, please forgive me. I have done, oh, if I could just eat with the The father say, slaughter the fattened calf. Put on the ring. Bring the robes. Let's have a party. My son has returned. My son has returned. How many people are mentioned in this story? The primary, the primary characters. The father, the, the older brother, the, the son. and let's, let's say potentially the household. He says, slaughter the fattened calf. Right? Slaughter the fattened calf. That's a lot of food, right? That's a lot of food, the fattened calf. What was, why? Why? That part is important to the story also. Why? Because the father wasn't just providing for his household. He was providing for the community. The intention of the father was to restore the son to the community. And so to invite everybody in. To invite everybody. Older brother comes in. What's going on? Your brother has returned. You know what the first thing that happens in the older brother's mind? Ah, there goes my inheritance again. 
I'm going to have to share what's left with this guy again. We took a hit the last time he was here. Now I have my portion left. I'm going to have to share my portion with him again. I'm going to get a smaller portion. Father, I've been here the whole time. I've been here the whole time, and I've been serving you. You've never thrown me a party. You've never given me a fattened calf to sit with my friends. Father says, you've been with me here the whole time. Whatever I have is yours. But the son of yours, he's been out with the prostitutes, and he's been, he's been living a debaucherous life. Again, important. Why? Why? Um, how did the older son know that... <laughs> That this guy <laughs> had been out with the prostitutes. <laughs> hmm. Best case scenario. Best case scenario. He was sitting in the fields fantasizing. He obeyed externally, internally. He never was with, truly with his father. He had only ever obeyed externally. And so the father says, everything I have is yours. You're here. But saints, when the son comes back, when the son is restored, the older brother is not happy about the restoration. Why? Because it's going to cost him his inheritance. Who are you in that story? Who are you? Who are you in that story? Better question. Better question. Um, how should the older brother have responded? How should the older brother have responded? If the older brother had had a heart that is truly with the father, then the older brother would have said, Father, I love you so much. I love my brother so much. The, the, the reconciliation between you and my brother is so important to me, I'm willing to pay any cost. And if it means sharing my inheritance, then so be it, so that you can be reunited with your son. Philemon had to be willing to pay any cost for this reconciliation. Watch what Jesus says. He says, all that I have is yours. Why? So that we can enter into relationship with the Father. Jesus came as the faithful older brother who's willing to pay and share everything that is his so that we can enter into the reconciliation of the Father. That is the message of the gospel. Let's stand to our feet. I would like to encourage and to give an opportunity to anybody who was, was convicted by that message. Um, if, if you know that the Lord was speaking to you, you were speaking about fatherhood, but you, to you, you heard a gospel message. And you were hearing that there's, there's reconciliation for you and that there's a father. If you were seeing the, the father who, who's ready to welcome you back and you were seeing that there's somebody else who's, who's, who's paying, facilitating facilitating this reconciliation that is jesus whether in the in the in in this story that we read paul was standing in that place of jesus or in the story in the parable 
where, where, where the, 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 the father who's ready to receive um, his son back, Jesus as the older brother. If you are feeling like that runaway slave, in fact, it's beyond feelings. You know you're the, the runaway slave or you know you're the son who's, who's been in the mud with the pigs. But it's time for you to be reconciled with the father. Would you raise your hand so I can pray with you? That story's for you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Father, I thank you for these hands. I thank you, Father, that you cause shame to fall off of them. I thank you, Father, that that you are calling them back into relationship with you. I thank you, Father, like like the like the, the father in the in the parable story, you're running towards them and you're embracing them and you're loving them and you are calling them into intimacy with you and you are you are celebrating, you're slaughtering the fattened calf in celebration. Thank you, Father, that you are restoring your children to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Can I ask uh, those that, 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 uh, that lifted their hands, can, can we ask you to take one more brave step, which is to take your, your, the stuff that you brought with you, your belongings, and to come meet me here at the front. We want to celebrate with you. Um, we want to give you an opportunity to acknowledge Jesus before the multitudes. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord Jesus. 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 Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. I'm going to pray a short prayer with you because I, I want you to pray this using your own, your own voice. Um, and it's just a prayer of you're reconciling, you're dedicating yourself to Jesus. Say, Lord Jesus, I choose today to come back to you, to be reconciled to you, no longer a slave to be a child in your family. I ask for your forgiveness for all my sins and in every way in which I have wronged you. I am your child now and forevermore in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father.